Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I don't know who I am either. Uh, I'm Dave Shipley. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, Pastor Dan is, oh, just in a horrible place. Uh, He got asked to go to Israel at the last minute to assist with a, a church going there. So he's there for a couple weeks. And I have the pleasure of uh, sharing with you this morning. So before we get started, let's ask the Lord's blessing on that. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning, just with our, our hearts open to you. Lord, do a work in each one of us. Father, we want to be transparent to you. Lord, we want to sit at your feet and have you teach us today. Father, let your words come through my mouth. Lord, I just thank you for your precious word that you've given us and all that it contains. And we just ask for your guidance now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let me, let me see hands of any of you who have ever said, Jesus is my Savior and Lord. Okay? Well, is he really? We're going to look at the Lord part of this, more than the Savior. We'll talk about that in a minute. But do you understand the difference? Do you know the difference between the two? Well, we're going to look at these really two cool, highfalutin words called sanctification and justification. Real fun stuff. Make you sound real spiritual. I'm sanctified this morning. Thank you very much. But those of you who may have like I did, experience a salvation issue, a salvation time as a child where I prayed, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, cleanse me. And we we made him Savior. But then later on, as as you get older and as life changes for you, you, you realize that maybe he's not Lord. Well, let's, let's take a look at, first of all, justification. Now, most of you have already seen this. Um, this morning, uh, I, I used to study something called The Art of War by Sansu. Any of you guys familiar? Ladies, if you're in the military, you may know. Um, well, this morning, we're going to look at The Art of Surrender. So, let's deal with justification um, if you, it, it's easy to understand if, you've break, if you break the word down, you play with it just a little bit. It's just as if I'd justified, never sinned. When you get saved, when you get born again, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from every sin in your past. And you're washed clean. God sees you as if you were perfect, as if you had never, ever sinned. It's all balanced out. The balance sheet, you don't owe anything. And, and it's really an accounting term that you've justified the book. Balanced. The checkbook is good. Nothing's going to bounce. So it's a one-time shot. It's a one-time deal. You are justified. 
at that moment you accept Christ. Okay, so now you're a Christian. Yay, I'm a Christian. You get to wear the name tag, Christian. Um, you know, I'm saved, I'm born again. Um, you get all these titles. It's really neat. And that's, that's, that's beautiful. But then we have to understand that those sins from our past, God says that he takes it and throws it in a sea of forgetfulness and puts up a no fishing sign. To go fishing for that old stuff. We tend to reel it in and look at it and go, oh, I'm just lousy. Can't believe what I've done. I can't believe it. Oh, Lord, how could you love me? And he's like, what are you talking about? That doesn't exist. It's gone. It's over. It's done. It's past. When we're born again, you know, we, we, we see that Jesus explains to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about being born again. Because, you know, Nicodemus is taking it literally, and he's like, how, how can I go back in my mom's womb? I can't, can't be born again. And Jesus said, no, no, you must be born of the Spirit. And so when a baby is born, they're born. Okay, that happens once. Now you just leave them alone, everything's fine, and you know, life goes on. Well, no, they, they then grow. They learn to cry really early. They, they toddle. That's why we call them toddlers. Um, sometimes when you get old, you know. Then they learn to walk. Oh, but before that, that's that precious moment when they say their first word, and it's, what is it? Well, it might be mama. There's usually a good competition between mom and dad. Oh, say dada, say dada. You know, no, say mama. Uh, mama, oh, you're not my kid. You know, and then they become these grade school kids and then junior high and, and high school and, and hopefully as they get older they don't remain kids anymore. You know, we used to say we're not raising kids, we're raising adults. Because that's what you want the end result to be. You want good, functional adults that aren't living in your basement at 35. And we told our kids, you can live in our basement anytime, no matter how old you get because we don't have a basement. <laughs> and you want, you want them to mature. You want them to grow up. Well, it's the same in Christ. You're born again. You're born. That's justification. You're justified. And now the rest of your life, until death or rapture, you then need to deal with sanctification. Uh, if you take the word sanctification, no, you'll end up with Sanka coffee or something. So don't do that. Sanctification, let me give you some definitions. It means being set apart for special use. How many of you eat Oreos? And you, you, some of you will you know, kind of take it apart, disassemble it, and you save something for last. And, you know, or, or you're like me and you just go... <laughs> And it's all homogenized in there. And 
when you set something apart, I know when my wife makes a certain pie and makes a crumble top for it, um, oh, I just wait to eat that crumble last because, oh, it's so good. And, you know, so I set it apart as I'm, as I'm eating. I kind of dig out the middle and then the bottom crust and then, oh, mm. anyway, um, I set that apart because I want to save it. I want it to have a special use. And that's what sanctification is. It's also the act of letting go of this world. So turn with me to John chapter 17, starting in verse 16. He says, this is Jesus praying, and he's talking to God, and he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus said that he sends us into the world, but that we're sanctified by the truth. This is growing spiritually in the Lord. Turn to Second Peter 3.18. Peter is giving us instruction here. And he says, but grow in... Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. This sanctification process is something that we should pursue. Run earnestly toward. And ask God to sanctify us. In, you know, in John chapter 17, 17, he says, sanctify them by your truth, your word. For us, for his telling them it's the truth, it's God's word that helps us to grow, that sanctifies us. Okay, so these are really great concepts. Okay, you got all the spiritual terminology sanctification, justification. But how do you really do this? How do you apply this to your life? Well, I'm going to give you five ways to help you with sanctification. Now, these are my ways. This is what I do. Um, there's, it's not, this isn't dogma. Um, it's not even, it's devma. But it's, it's a help. And I want to share with you, if you're a note taker, there's going to be talk about. Number one, receive healing from your guilt, and from your past. Oh, it's that sea of forgetfulness that we go fishing in. We, we sometimes dredge it up, you know, with a huge, huge net. And we just drag it to the surface. We don't let go of those things. But you say, Dave, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how horrible I am. You don't know what a sinner I am. I've got 
a horrible marriage, or maybe I came from a horrible marriage. I've been divorced. I've had an abortion or several abortions. You know what? We teach so much about standing truth that abortion is against God's word. But do we stand with those that have had abortions to love them and show them the grace that God has for them? God loves you. He forgives you. If you're hurting, God can heal that hurt. To say, it's okay, my child. I've got it. I've got it covered. Let me carry that burden. You let go. Just let go. Or you might tell me, you don't know the shady things I've done at work. You don't know the shady things I've done at work. You know, you know sometimes I, I don't really act like a Christian around the people at work because, you know, they're real worldly. They, they tell the dirty jokes and, you know, and I laugh at them and, you know, and, you know, I, I'm just, I've got this guilt. Um, I steal from my employer. I cheat on my income tax. Only Christians call it fudge. I, I, I fudge on my income tax. Since when is that a Christian term? It's a dessert. But I used to do, um, used to be involved in background checks in the government. And we would have what we call, when we would interview someone, we had what we call a liar, liar, pants on fire question. All these questions to find out what their background is and to make sure they're trustworthy. Um, we would ask, for a current government employee, have you ever stolen anything from the government? And the ones that are honest will say, yes. The ones that say, no, you know they're lying. And the ones that say no, we ask a simple question. Some of you may not get this, but that's all right. Um, do you have a Skillcraft pen at home? And they're like, uh, yeah, probably in my desk drawer somewhere. Then you've stolen from the government. You say, Dave, I, I visit websites that I shouldn't go to. You know, I'm looking for something, and then an ad pops up, and, you know, and I, I try to close that ad, but it takes me to that site anyway. Yeah, right. Um, and you're dealing with that. Dave, you don't know the thoughts that I have. You know, I don't know any, any Christian who would want a projector in their brain that your thoughts for everyone to see. Oh, my goodness. I would break that bulb as quickly as I could. You know, I mean, I, I'm spiritual, and I'm driving down the road, and then somebody cuts me off, and I'm like, that idiot, where did they get their license? And I'm just, oh, thank you, Lord. You know, I mean, uh, I talk to cars when I drive all the time. Just ask my wife. She, she, we need to understand something. The blood of Jesus can cleanse every sin. There's no stain too tough. No lot so thick that the blood of Jesus cannot remove. It is a lie from Satan 
that you need to carry that guilt, that you need to feel like, and I've met a lot of Christians who feel like, you know, God loves everyone, but, you know, I, I, I just can't see him loving me because of what I've done. I just, you know, because I just, I, I, I can't, you know, I just can't. And it's, it's not true. It is just not true. Because Satan wants you defeated. Satan wants you moping. Satan wants you to be ineffective for the Lord. And if you're carrying all this guilt, if you're carrying all these past sins, then you're not going to witness. You're not, your life's not going to be a witness. What did Jesus say to the Samaritan woman at the well? He told her, hey, you've been divorced five times, and the guy you're living with right now isn't even your husband. You're shacking up with this guy. And then what did he say? You dirty, rotten, no good sinner. No, that's not what he said at all. In love, he said, let me give you living water. Let me refresh your soul. Let me forgive you for all those things that you hold on to in the past. There's no sin too big or too awful that the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse. Well, let's look at, let's look at some giants in the faith. You know, we, we think these guys are super spiritual, and man, I just want to be like them. Let me give you a few examples. Gideon. Everybody knows the story of Gideon? Gideon was a chicken. Gideon was afraid. And God sent an angel to him. He was a doubter. You've never doubted that God will do something in your life, right? No, never. He received God's direction from an angel, no less. And he's like, well, you know, I'm not quite sure if that's really what God wants me to do. So, you know, Lord, would you just, you know, let me put this piece of fleece out here. Let me, let me put this rawhide out here. And, and Lord, if you really want me to do this, could you like make it wet on that thing and dry on the... And God in his grace did it. And he's like, oh, cool. Thank you, Lord. But you know, I'm not, not really sure, Lord, that's really what you want me to do. So could we do the reverse of that and just check? We'll just, we'll just triple check. And God, in his grace, did it for Gideon. I'm never like that. I never doubt God's direction. How about Abraham? Oh, Abraham. Oh, I love that man. He was a liar. He he told the king that his beautiful wife was his sister because he was afraid that as beautiful as she was, the king would go, oh, I want that babe. Hoo-hoo. And I'll kill her husband so I can put her in my harem. And so he was afraid for his life. So he said, eh, that's my sister. Good old Abraham. My namesake. Oh, yeah, this guy. Oh, lust. He was guilty of lust. He was a conniving, scheming guy. He committed adultery, and then to cover it up, what do you do? Murder. And yet, this is a man after God's own heart. 
How do you? Because every time he sinned, he then repented and turned back to God. And did God use him after all these things? Oh, yeah. Yeah, easy. Piece of cake. Well, why can't he use you? Why can't he use me? He can. Amen. Okay, and Paul. Oh, man. I just want to be like Paul. If I could be like Paul, Lord, just make me like Paul. You know what Paul was guilty of? Having Christians killed. He was a murderer, too. What kind of past do you have that's worse than those? And these are men that are heroes in the faith. You can be a hero in the faith. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Because Paul is now reminding us of how this happens. He says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It's a ministry of grace. That's what God has called us to. You know, it's real easy to point at people and their lifestyles and go, oh, you and you and you. And you know what? If they're not saved, who cares what they're doing? They're just not saved. You know, sin is sin. Okay, well, what about for us? Sin is sin. Confess it, repent, receive forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. So, that you and I do not deserve. You're right. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. None of us are good enough. But God is. Yeah. Raising my five kids, we had, uh, and this may sound like abuse in today's age, but um, we used to have a three-swat rule. We would spank with a wooden spoon, and there was no sin that the kids could commit that get more than three swats for. And we had in the kitchen, you know, um, a thing and weights and shapes and all that. Some with holes in the middle. And I'm, I'm a horrible dad, and I would make them go get their own spoon when they were going to get spanked. And if one time one of my daughters came in with a little bitty spoon, and I said, not good enough, now I'll choose. And I got the biggest spoon we had. So, you know, we had the three-swat rule because you don't want to have child abuse, you know. You, you may feel like killing your kid, but you shouldn't. And in, in our bedroom, we had a wicker chair. And I'd, I'd use that to sit and put my shoes on. And, but if one of the kids was in trouble, we'd have them come in and sit in the chair. And I'd sit on the bed, and I'd lecture them. I mean, I would instruct them. And, and that's where they would go if they were going to get a spanking. Well, one time, one of my daughters got the three-swat offense. And I had her, she did, and I had her go get a spoon. She came in the bedroom, she sat in the chair, and I handed her the spoon, 
And I said, I'm going to take your punishment. I want you to give me three hard swats. And she said, Daddy, no, no, no. I'm not going to swat you. And she said, it's not fair. It's not fair. I'm the one who, who did what. This is what Jesus did for us. He took our punishment that we deserved. And that's exactly what we need to understand. He took that. Satan wants you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel worthless and defeated. There's, in my Bible and in yours, there's only one sin that's not forgivable. And that's rejecting Christ for the rest of your life is what it boils down to. Everything else can be forgiven. All right, number two. Daily get into the word. Well, you you certainly can tell I do. Well, how about your spirit? The recommended daily allowance, the spiritual RDA, it's on the label. It's right here. It's not about how much you read. It's not about reading a lot. It's about getting a lot out of what you're reading. It's sit down and read four chapters today. If you read four verses and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, oh yeah, that's it. That's it. Just spend time with God. He just wants to hang out with you. Seriously. He wants a relationship with you. He loves you so to meet you. He died to spend time with you. Number three, pray, 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 and then pray. Bible says pray without ceasing. If I went 24 hours without speaking to my wife, she would love it. No, she would, it would hurt our relationship. Why would you go time without speaking with God? You know, I'm crazy. downtown and go into a big parking structure 124 empty spots yeah lord don't let it be on level 10 please you know and and when i get into that spot i thank him i thank him you know god is really busy taking care of me so he doesn't have time for you okay but that's how we feel sometimes Oh no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pray about this. God's got all these other Christians to take care of, and he's got to keep Dave out of trouble. So, you know, he doesn't have time for my little stuff. Yes, he does. And it's important to him. You know, the Bible says he cares about the sparrows, and he clothes them in all beauty. He puts clothes on them, he he feeds them. He cares more about you than any little bird. No matter how much you squawk, he still cares and loves you. All right, number four, develop a spiritual twang. Twang. Those of you who have lived in the South or visited, 
you hear people talking kind of funny, y'all. And sometimes, you know, if you hang out with them long enough, you're going to start talking like them. And sometimes you slow down, you know. And, but you got to turn that speed up if you're going to another place. And you need believers. The Bible tells us that it's essential for our growth to do that. When I uh, was a young guy, I went on travel to Oklahoma for the first time. And I got up in the morning, getting ready to go uh, to this training I was going to do. And I went to the restaurant inside the hotel. And I sit down, and I'm there real early in the morning because I don't want to be late. And there's comes up to me and, and she says hey darling what would you like sweetheart I'm thinking doesn't she what and I, I said well I'd like this and this and this and this she said alright honey um, would you like some grits with that and I said I don't know what grits are and so she explained it to me, and I said, no, thank you. And like malto meal and something, I don't know, sand. She food, and um, she came back to check on me, and she says, hey, baby, is there anything else I can get you? And I thought, no, uh, no. And, and so she left, and I'm thinking, i got to get out. Just before she brought me my chair, came in and sat down, and I was within earshot of, of that table. And she walks over, and she says to the guy, Hi, darling. How are you, honey? Can I get you something for breakfast? I was like, oh, that's just the way she talks. Okay. <sighs> so you need to to hang out with other believers. And you know what you're going to find out? We're all the same. We go through the same struggles. We have the same difficulties. We share the same thoughts, the same attitudes sometimes. Have you thought about joining a a home fellowship? One of the Bible studies that that we offer here? You, You need to hang out and you'll develop that spiritual twang. Okay, then the last one, number five. This is the key to a sanctified life. Surrender. Surrender. What, what's the universal sign for surrender? Hands raised. Surrender is actually an act of worship. Well, that might say something about my spiritual walk because sometimes when I worship, I kind of only put up one hand. So I'm kind of half-surrendered. You know, and so maybe, maybe I need to look at that and, and say, Lord, examine my heart. What do you need to surrender? You need to surrender your will. What did Jesus pray? Not my will, Father, but yours be done. You know, you need to surrender your spouse. You can't change your spouse. God made them the way he made them. 
Iron sharpens iron. He, he puts opposites together on purpose because he wants balance. He wants every part fit together. It's a blessing, not a curse. Praise God. Your kids. Oh, I, I have spent many tearful nights over my kids and still do from time to time, depending on what they go through. And I had a, a prodigal. One of my kids had to kick out of the house. And as scripture says, she eventually returned to the Lord. But it's hard to let go of these things. You need to surrender your job. As a Christian, you should be the best at whatever you do. You should be the guy or the gal that the boss says, that's my best worker. That's my most reliable person. That's my most knowledgeable worker. Why? Because you're glorifying God in your job, in your occupation. Your hobbies, your time, his money. Notice I didn't say your money. It's his. He, he's given us all these things to manage. He's the one who gives you the ability to earn a wage. He's the one who provides the job. He's the one who puts that bend in you for a certain thing that you like to do. That thing that just, you know, oh man, I love doing this. Desires. This is a prayer that I pray all the time, not enough, but a lot. And that is, Lord, make your desires my desires. I want to desire to do what you want me to do. We prayed that. Lord, I want to move and retire wherever you would have us to retire. And God's desire was mountain home. And what a joy. What a joy to be in his will. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. He puts those desires in your heart that are godly, that, are, that line up with his word. But you have to surrender. You have to let go. Have you ever taken your vehicle to an automatic car wash? The kind that you get in there and then it, it takes your, your vehicle through and, you know. Okay, so, so what is your job in that? Well, you have to let the attendant guide you in, okay? You know, okay, so you get your tire in the right spot. And then you have to surrender control of your vehicle. All right, put it in neutral. You know, keep your foot off the brake, keep your foot off the gas. Because if you try to take control, it's going to be awful. Your car is going to need to go into another shop called the body shop. Um, and what did you have to do to clean it? Nothing. Your only cost was the price to get in and the time it took. Well, guess what? It's the same in life. 
Your job to surrender is to let the Holy Spirit guide you onto the track of his word. Word of God, clean you. Let the word of God guide you. You have to let him steer your life. You have to let go of the steering wheel. That's scary. That is really scary. I've seen some of these Teslas and some of the other cars that have that automatic driving stuff. Oh, not me, man. Uh-uh. Cruise control is about as far as I'll go, you know. And, but he needs to be able to steer your life. Ephesians 5, turn with me to Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. We, we normally share this verse in, concerning marriages, but it, it's actually concerning. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glory spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Notice, it's the washing of water by the word. Here's your spiritual car wash right here. It'll get you sparkling clean, even throw a coat of wax on you. You know, to resist all the bugs that hit you and You know, if you think back in Scripture when the disciples' feet, and he came to Peter, and he said, all right, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter's reaction was, oh, no, you're not. Not me. You are the Lord. I'm the servant. Uh, you're not washing my feet. That, that's the job of a servant, and Jesus wanted Peter to know that he wanted to wash the dirt of the world off of him. But Peter felt, it's okay for those other 11, even the one that's going to betray you, but not me. Peter didn't understand that Jesus was a servant leader. We need to allow our precious Savior to wash the dirt of the world off of us. We need to let him do that. And then once Jesus explained to Peter what he was trying to do, I love Peter. He's like, then give me a bath. Wash me from head to toe, Lord. Let me, I I want everything. Well, is that your attitude? I mean, I love his zeal. A little misplaced, but I love his zeal. And, you know, when Jesus comes back, I hope he finds you doing something, even if it's making a mistake. All right? Just do something for the Lord. Just let him uh, use you. Be available. And you see, the key is, it's not what you can do for God. It's what God has done and will do for you. It's a continuous process. Sanctification will continue until you die or get raptured, whichever happens first. And 
He can do things through you, but you have to give up. You have to surrender. You got to let go. 